<clears throat> well, if you, uh, if you did not get the notes, there are notes in the back, and there's pens back there, too, if you need it. Uh, we are uh, coming close to the end of this uh, Fundamentals of the Family, and it's funny because, I, you know, when I started this, I had kind of a roadmap. I knew the sessions I wanted to do, but then the more we've done it, you know, like the parent, I was going to parenting, but then I realized, well, we need to talk about the role of the children, you know, in the home, uh, because not only does that help us in our parenting, but... Um, but it's something that, that our children uh, need to hear and need to, to grow in. And then and I got to this, and I started uh, looking at godly communication, conflict resolution. But then I just started thinking of, you know, it just it, I don't know. It just It's one of those things where it's like, we need to talk about finances. And we need to talk about, like, you just kind of go down all these different paths of things that become uh, issues in the home or things that you've got to... Um, you know, you've, we, we need clarity on, we need guidance on. So anyway, um, I'm going to talk to Shane, see what he says. <laughs> Get a little help on this. But, like, but definitely these next two weeks, I know where we're going. So we're going to talk this week on godly communication. Uh, this is central uh, just for, for any of us as believers. Um, and, uh, but definitely within the home, we have to have good communication and, and more importantly, godly communication. And then uh, actually, next week, I will be out of town. Um, Caleb Bird's going to come in and kind of uh, on the back into this uh, um, teach from James 3, uh, just the, the, um, the dangers of, of uh, wicked communication, if you want to say it that way, or the, 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 the power of the tongue. And so, um, actually, I was going to add some of that in here, but knowing that he was coming, I kind of put it at the tail end, and he can take it from there. But that'll be, that'll be good. And then when I come back, we'll do uh, conflict resolution. But today we're in session six, um, and this is we're going to call this the fundamental rules for godly communication. And again, I feel like this happens almost every week. Uh, whatever Shane talks about, I'm like, that was perfect. <laughs> so today, first thing he read Ephesians four, which is pretty much where all this comes from. So uh, this is going to this is like uh, founded in Ephesians four, and then you know, again we're going to it branches out from there, and I pulled in other things in scripture. But the backbone of this lesson is Ephesians four, which he read before he. Uh, talked about uh, the the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Christ, which is again part of our communication and exactly conflict resolution. So what he preached today is pretty much what we're going to talk about when we talk about conflict resolution. I'm not going to use uh, Matthew 18, but it's definitely going to be in there because that is a very central uh, parable and um, message uh, when it comes to just any any person in Christ when we sin against anyone or someone sins against us. Uh, but again, and I'm getting ahead of myself here, but I mean, that's, that's, that's the home, right? I mean, you got two sinners that are saved by grace, Lord willing, whether or not they're saved by grace. I mean, even if one is, they have that calling um, and uh, they're going to sin against each other every day. And so it's going to take, it's going to take unending forgiveness, mercy, grace, and love uh, within the relationship. So um, I was very thankful for that. Uh, but for today, like I said, taking a step back and you can turn this off if you want, Russell, I don't think we're going to, we're going to need it. Um, we're going to talk about the uh, fundamental rules for godly communication. So one of the most common roots of problems in the home is, without question, unbiblical communication patterns. If husbands or wives fail to express themselves clearly or at all, or if they fail to listen attentively, relationships flounder. Unbiblical communication becomes a wedge used by Satan to disrupt the family and results in anger, hurt, ignorance, and disunity. And again, I know all of us have felt this at some point. You know, whether it's between spouses, whether it's us with our children, um, they're, they're, um, we all have uh, ways that we communicate. Um, and we all are striving to bring those underneath the, 
the, the, the counsel of the Word of God um, underneath in submission to Christ and who He is. Uh, and we're always going to be working on that. None of us are communicating perfectly, and, and we're going to see soon. It's not just our words either. I mean, the majority of our communication is not happening with the words that are coming out of our lips, but with everything else that we're doing. So, um, and, and let me give you a kind of a big picture. There's, there's, there's the priority of godly communication, the principles after that. And then, like I said, we're going to dive into Ephesians 4. I already know that there's too much content here today. Uh, and so I might have to skip through some of it, um, but it was hard. Uh, on top of the fact that I was running out of time because of this picnic, uh, secondly, it was just like I, I, I just whittled and whittled and whittled. And at some point, I'm like, I just felt like this stuff needed to stay, you know. So, so anyway, so here we go. Number one on your blank is the priority of godly communication. The priority of godly communication. And I think the first thing we have to understand is letter A, that our communication is important to God. It's very important to God. How we speak, uh, how we interact with others. Uh, again, I mean, if you look at biblical principles on, on you know, how to, to live like Christ, the majority of them have to do with how you relate with other people. You know, whether that's your enemies, whether that's people within the church, whether that's in the family, whether that's with your employer or employees or whatever it may be. Um, the, the way that we... Submit to the Lord, obey his word, um, exemplify Christ-likeness is in interacting with other people. And in those interactions, it's communication. You know, like I said, it's not just speaking. It's how we are living, how we are conveying ourselves, whether or not we are listening and, and how we're interacting with others. Communication is very, very important to God, and it needs to be important to us. Communication is extremely important. This is a quote from Stuart Scott uh, from his book, The Exemplary Husband. Which, uh, let me th- throw that out, too, by the way. It's a great book. It says The Exemplary Husband, so a lot of people are like, well, it's for husbands. Um, but the content, is, I mean, it's, for, it's so good. It's for everybody. So what they did is they took this book. They basically chopped up all the chapters and made little booklets of, like, all the chapters. And so this chapter that I got a lot of this content from has actually been made into a booklet called... I think communication and conflict resolution is something like that. Um, and you can, I don't have copies of it, but you can buy it online. But it is so good, very clear, and I just think it's a, a great resource. Um, but like I said, so you can go look that up, communication, conflict resolution by Stuart Scott. I just pulled this from the, 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 the actual book, The Exemplary Husband. But it says, communication is extremely important to God. It involves self-control and discipline uh, uh, character qualities that the Christian must possess. Communication involves ruling our spirit, uh, our tongue, and our body, and going against our feelings when they contradict what we know to be true. Communication involves the heart, which is, one of, the, which is of the greatest importance to God. He often addresses our communication to expose the heart because our communication is ruled by what is in our heart. So who we are and what is at our core uh, the, the, the core of who we are uh, is, is what is going to be expressed when we open our lips, when we make facial expressions, when we interact with other people. Matthew twelve thirty six to 37, and again, all these are quotes from Christ himself. Jesus says, but I tell you, every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for in the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. So obviously, words are very important to God, and words uh, reveal what is within us. Um, and uh, same thing, Matthew 15. 
Uh, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. Uh, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, theft, false witness, slanders. These are things which defile the man. So again, it's what is within us that comes out in our communication. And that is very important to the Lord. Luke six forty five, same sort of thing. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from the abundance of his heart. So the Lord is very concerned with our communication. The Lord is very concerned with our words. Words are very important, and words reveal the core of who we are. So you can't just say, oh, I didn't mean it. If it came out, and if you expressed it, there is something about that that says something about who you are, how you think, and, 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 uh, and whether or not you uh, uh, submit yourself to the Lord. Uh, in different situations. Again, not that we don't sin, but even that. If we sin as Christians, then we need to be communicating confession of our sins, repentance of our sins, reconciliation with others. So all that being said, our communication is important to God. Letter B, our communication is important to our family. Communication is important in the family and, and to our family. Communication is the vehicle that is used to accomplish many responsibilities and relational aspects of the family. Without communication, we cannot fulfill our roles properly, express love effectively, address important issues, or resolve conflicts. All of these things, everything we're called to do within the home requires communication. And in order to glorify the Lord and to, to walk in obedience with the, the calling He has called us within the family... All of it requires godly communication. Uh, Every command of the Lord uh, for the family requires godly communication. I just said that. In order to be followed, the husbands living with their wives in an understanding way requires godly communication. Wives submitting to their husbands requires godly communication. Children obeying their parents and parents not provoking their children. All of the things we've talked uh, talked about so far all require godly communication in order to be practiced. Um, Wayne Mack, in his book, Strengthening Your Marriage, says, Whenever you find marital failure, you will find a breakdown in real communication. Wherever you find marital success, you will find a good communication system. Good communication is essential to the development of genuine oneness. Um, I've done a lot of family counseling. It usually stems because of, of things that, that are happening in the children, uh, and um, either whether it was at the school or at the church or whatever. And many, many times I've sat down with, with parents whose uh, marriage is in trouble. They're having a they're hard time. Actually, I remember one, one uh, uh, situation in particular. After 17 years of marriage, there was no infidelity. There was no, it wasn't any of that stuff. It was just 17 years of keeping lists of wrongs, of a lack of communication, or I would say unbiblical or ungodly communication back and forth to the point where you had this couple that, I think about that, 17 years prior, stood at an altar, loved one another, uh, you know, made their commitments before God. And after 17 years of, of bad uh, or ungodly communication, they couldn't even stand to sit in the same room to talk about their, their uh, child together. We had to do separate meetings. They ended up getting a divorce. It was a very, very sad situation. But, but I saw that over and over and over. And what was crazy in the midst of all this is, you know, you're doing this, these counseling situations and you're looking at these couples and they start, you know, talking about one another and, well, he did this, well, she did that, all that. You start going, I've done that exact same thing to my wife this week. You know what I mean? And you start seeing what, what, what the blessing of it is the Lord gives you a picture of if you continue to practice this for 17 years, 
This is the end result. If you continue to, to harbor these thoughts or to, to keep these lists, that's the end result. And not only is it crushing, because all of us have these things. We all have things that we have to be working on. Um, but um, it, it reminds you your complete need and dependence upon Christ. Anyone can turn that around. You can turn it around after 17 years. It just is going to take brokenness, contrition, submission to him, and, and a desire to, we're going, we are going to strive to, to submit to the Lord uh, in order to, to make this thing work. So, but again, all that being said, um, communication is, is very important, and a lack of communication or bad communication can be detrimental not only to a marriage, but just family situation or family relationships. Uh, the second part here is the principles of effective communication. The principles of effective communication. I'm going to bounce through this one a little, little quick so we can get to the, the next part because I really want to make sure we, we hit the, the last two sections here. But letter A, communication is a reflection of the heart. We've already talked about that a little bit, uh, but the, the, you have to understand that. What you communicate in whatever way, it's, that says something about you. You can't dismiss that, and, uh, and you can't be like, you, you can't make excuses for that. Letter B, communication is corrupted by sin. Again, something we know, but we have to understand so that we can then work on our communication. Even Adam and Eve, their communication with God in the garden, you know, before, before sin, there was, there was complete open communication, honesty, transparency, uh, and wholeness and unity with God. And then after sin, in Genesis 3, you start seeing communication, uh, not just the words they said, but the things that they did. Genesis 3-7, they covered the truth. Uh, they weren't honest. Um, Genesis 3-8, they, they tried to avoid the conversation. You know, they go and they hide. God knows where they are. He asked them what they did. Not only are they physically hiding, but then they try to skirt around the truth. Genesis 3-10, they only told part of the story. Um, and then Genesis 3-12, they, they shifted the blame. And, and um, uh, and, and the whole thing, I mean, the Lord knew. I mean, when he asked Adam, you know, have you eaten from the tree? Uh, where are you? God knew where Adam was, and he knew he'd eaten from the tree. He's given Adam the chance to be honest, to confess what he had done. And then Adam does come clean, barely, like halfway. So he tells a little bit about what happened, but totally says, it's the woman that you gave me. She's the one that gave me the fruit, and, and I ate from the tree. So he's blaming God, blaming Eve. You know, Eve blames the serpent. And again, in all that, though, you ought to look at that and go, that's exactly what I do. We strive to try to make things sound a little bit better than they were. We try to make things, you know, give the reasoning behind it so we can see why I made this poor decision. All of those things are, are really just a lack of honesty, a lack of integrity, a lack of truthfulness. Uh, and the whole point is so that we can either get the thing that we desire and continue to do that under the, the guise of honesty, or it's a way to, to, to not be fully accountable for what we have done uh, because we don't understand the, the, the greatness of our sins. Again, it's what Shane just talked about in there. We don't understand the, the greatness of his grace and forgiveness and mercy, and we don't understand our need. Um, and so all of that being said, our communication... Uh, becomes uh, corrupted, and we do these different things. And we'll talk more about this uh, soon. Letter C, communication can be either constructive or destructive. Communication can be constructive or destructive. If you look at the Bible, there are many, many, many 
imperative commands on how to use the tongue, on how to interact with others. And, and that communication should be edifying, encouraging, helpful. There are things we're called to do to build one another up, uh, to, to encourage one another, uh, to be helpful, to bear with one another, all those things. So your communication can be very constructive. Proverbs 15.1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And when someone's angry, have you ever been upset in your mind with someone and, and you're just thinking, like, how, they say they're a Christian. How do they do these things? I mean, God says that we're supposed to love one another. They can do that. And then they come to you, and they're like, will you please forgive me? And then all of a sudden, you're just, like, crushed. And you Because you've been destroying them in your head this whole time. And they come to you and humble themselves, and it immediately just crushes you. You know what I mean? And makes you go, no, I am the fool. I am the sinner. Or when someone's angry at you and you just want to fight back. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Either someone's angry with you or you're angry with them and you go to confront them in their sin and let them see the sin they've done against you and they're like, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You know, then you're just, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, you're, you're expecting them to be defensive and they don't put up any defense. Instead, they lay down right before you and say, well, please forgive me. And you're like, well, okay. I mean, you can't, <laughs> you, you can't fight with somebody that won't fight, Right? And again, that's, the, that's, the, that's part of who we are as believers. And so a gentle answer turns away wrath. Uh, again, words can be comforting. Words can be calming. Um, and then they can also be destructive, like the second part here. They can tear down. They can be unhelpful. They can be worthless, hurtful, provoking, discouraging. I mean, we learned that, you know, as parents, do not provoke your children. I mean, we can, we can speak to our children in a way that is, that is destructive, not only to the relationship, but maybe even to their soul. You know, if we speak in a way, we speak things of God, but then we act over here uh, in, in a way that's not like the Lord. And so we call that hypocrisy, but that's communicating something, right? It's communicating that what, what we tell you, we ourselves don't believe. But then we're calling you to trust it and believe it. But they're going to see the communication there, and they're not going to believe something that they know that you don't believe because the way that you live, the way that you act. And so all that being said, our communication can be very destructive. Letter D, communication is more than just words. I know we've already kind of said this, and I know that you know this. The majority of our communication is nonverbal. We must pay attention to how we display ourselves to one another, and we must be careful how we interpret nonverbal communication. I mean, think about that. You right now are interpreting even my own nonverbal communication. I could be up here being like, communication is very important. We should all communicate. Well, you know, I could say the exact same words in a different way, and you would interpret it differently, right? I mean, and so you got to think about that. You can say something that, that the words are loving. You know, if you just saw it typed out, it would be like, oh, that was really loving. But then if you saw the way it would ex- express, you might be like, well, they're being sarcastic. Or that was really rude. Or they didn't mean that. Does that make sense? So nonverbal communication is, is very important. And like I said, on the other end of it, so we need to be aware of how we are expressing ourselves. But then on the other side, you've got to be careful about how you interpret. Because it's very easy to hear something, to see something, and then to just go right after the soul. You know? Well, they... Phew, they didn't mean that, you know? I know they didn't mean that because, because I saw this other thing that happened. And it's like, you got to be, I mean, again, it doesn't mean don't be discerning. If you see patterns and habits, you should be able to discern from that hypocrisy or something like that. But it's so easy for us, especially if we have something in our own hearts, to then take the nonverbal communication and to not trust what was actually said and assume something about the motives or the intentions of the person that said it 
And then we, we go down a very dangerous path of judging uh, someone uh, based on our own, uh, based on our lack of understanding. So nonverbal communication, the volume of your voice, the tone of your voice, facial expressions, hand gestures, sighing, rolling of eyes, body posture, touch, looks of amazement or disgust, your arms crossed, being on the phone when, when, when uh, someone's talking to you, uh, multitasking, all of these things. Uh, and I, again, I mean, you've done them and you know when it happens to you. You know, you're talking to someone and they're just looking at their phone. And I mean, like, they can be going, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you're right, yeah, yeah. But you're like, you're not paying attention to me. Kenzie, I, my, my wife's told me this before. She'll be talking to me, and while she's talking to me, I just start doing something, you know. I go put this away over here in the drawer, and then I go over here, and I straighten this thing up, and, and she'll just stop talking because she's like, you're not listening. She's like, you may be saying things, and you may be uh, uh, interacting, you know, my words and stuff like that, but, but by my actions, I'm basically expressing to her I, I don't really care what you're saying to me right now. Um, and I have other things that are just as important as whatever content that you're, you're giving me. Does that make sense? And so nonverbal communication is communication. A lot of times, you know, you can have people that are like, well, I just don't talk very much, and so they don't communicate much. But that actually communicates something. So even not talking communicates something. Um, and it, that could be positive or negative. Letter E on the next page. Good communication is dependent on good listening Effective communication is the process of sharing information with another person in such a way that the sender's message is understood as he or she intended it. That is a really good sentence. I don't know where I got it from, but I I know I didn't put that together. Uh, It is the process of sharing information in a way that the, the sender's message was understood the way that they intended it. Sometimes that takes probing questions. You know, sometimes that takes clarification. Sometimes that takes, let me repeat back to you what you said to make sure I understood it right. And then, and then figuring out, you know, where you misunderstood. Does that make sense? So you can't just say, well, you said. They may have said that, but that's not at all what they intended. And so, again, I mean, within our homes, there's going to be a lot of miscommunication just because there's a lot of communication. And, and so we have to make sure that we're, we're working with one another, with your spouse or with your children, and you're clarifying, you're asking good questions, and you're communicating well. Communication is a two-way street. It involves speaking and listening. Again, I got this from uh, the exemplary husband. But he says uh, there's a list in his book on how to speak well and how to listen well. So speaking, uh, your desire is to please God with your communication more than anything else. I think that's the biggest thing. You want to make sure that my words that I am expressing right now to my children or to my wife or to whoever it is, that they are pleasing to the Lord, that they're glorifying to him. And then we want to speak with humility, patience, and love. Again, I mean, James 3, right? I mean, if, there, if, there's, if you have something in your heart, if there's bitterness in your heart, envy in your heart, jealousy in your heart, don't think that that is a, a, a grounds that you're going to do anything holy of the Lord. Those are earthly, natural, and demonic motivations that are only going to, to express things that are earthly, natural, and demonic. They're not going to be of the Lord. Um, So we need to speak with humility, speak with love and patience. Remember that we're accountable to God for everything we communicate. That's huge. I mean, I don't don't think this way often. I should, but think about that. I mean, can you imagine if you really thought before you opened your lips, before you made that face, you know, before you, you know, whatever it is, you thought, the way I express myself right now, I will give an account of this to the Lord one day. You know what I mean? That would change we probably talk a lot less. Uh, some of us may talk a lot more, you know. I mean, 
you know, you don't want to stand before the Lord. And the Lord was like, I gave you so many opportunities to love, so many opportunities to share the gospel, so many opportunities to comfort or to sympathize. And you said nothing. You know what I mean? But then you got the other side, like me. It's like, I gave you so many opportunities to be quiet and so many opportunities to, to keep it shut. And you just couldn't resist, you know? So, uh, again, the next point, think before you speak and be slow to speak. And then how to listen well. Concentrate. Be careful to consider what the other person is saying. Don't interrupt the other person. Don't formulate what you're going to say while they're talking. Again, it's so easy. They say something and like, like halfway through the first sentence, you heard something that made you think of something. And then all you're doing is thinking of what you're going to say. And they got eight more sentences to go, you know. And that, that stuff just went right over your head. And you're just like waiting to blah, right, and, you know, and, and uh, say what you want to say. Don't talk too much. Allow breaks in the conversation. Um, so the other person can process and, and, and then talk back to you. I'll ask for clarification. We've already said that. And don't talk when someone else is speaking. So, again, good communication takes both of those. And we're always working on this. Letter F, avoid deficient and excessive communication. And this is the whole under-talker, over-talker thing. Um, like I said... You can have a person, I mean, I know people that they don't talk much and, you know, and, and, and there's a kind of a, an air of wisdom that comes with that because they don't speak much. I mean, you probably all know these people. They don't speak very much, but when they do, you listen because they don't speak much, you know. But, but there, there, can also be, uh, there can also be error in that, like we said, because just because you don't speak much doesn't necessarily mean that you're communicating well. In fact, sometimes not speaking when you should be speaking can make you look like a coward. You were afraid to do what was right in the moment. You didn't say something when something must have been, should have been said. Does that make sense? And so that could come across as cowardice or something like that. Or, you know, you don't say something when someone's hurting or needs comfort, and so it looks like you don't care or you're being rude. Uh, we talked to our little girls about this. They're very shy. They like to stay close to mom. You know, they're not the, the outgoing kind of kids when they're little. And, um, and so people would talk to them, and they just would, like, stare at them. You know what I mean? And, and most people understand they're just little kids. But the thing is, is, like, we'd tell them, it's okay to not be the center of attention. You don't have to be the one out there, like, talking and putting on a show. But you can't be rude, you know? And so a lack of speaking is, it can be rude. And so, again, uh, you want to make sure that you're not deficient in your communication. Um, and, uh, and then excessive communication, the over-talker. And then, like I said, I, I feel like I live in Proverbs 18.2 and Proverbs 10.19. With many words, transgression is unavoidable. A fool does not delight in understanding, but only in revealing his own mind. So um, make sure that you're not excessively communicating and always getting yourself into trouble with your tongue. All right. These next two sections, I mean, all that was very important. I'm not saying that was a lack of, I felt like that was kind of the 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 preface to this. This is, I feel like, where you get into the meat of um, uh, how we speak uh, and in communication. And really, Ephesians 4, there's other places we can go, but most of the things we've been looking at in this class have really been founded on Ephesians and have come out of that. And Ephesians 4 is such a central chapter, not only in the book of Ephesians, but just in Scripture, um, just because of all that it does. It starts out just with talking about walking worthy of Christ. Paul says, therefore, in light of all that Christ has done and who we were, dead in our sins, made us alive together with him. He's called us as a church. He's, um, you know, um, 
uh, called us to, to proclaim his gospel and to, uh, to submit to him and all that. He says, therefore, in light of all that, he tells us to walk worthy of our calling. And it means to, it means to live at the standard of what you profess to be or what you have been called to be. So you say you're a Christian. Well, then look at your, your thoughts, words, and actions, and do they equal up with Christ? Or are you professing something with your lips and living way underneath the standard. Does that make sense? Now again, fully knowing that we are never going to match the standard of Christ in anything that we think, say, or do. But that is what we are striving to walk worthy of. You know, the, the last thing we want to do is lower the standard, create our own little self-righteous religion, or ignore the standard and, and pretend like we are when we're not, which is hypocrisy. Um, so this is, like I said, the, I think the, 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 the guts or the heart of communication, and the blank there is the preparation for godly communication. The preparation for godly communication. And this comes from Ephesians 4, and really, all of it has to do with integrity, honesty, and truthfulness. If, if you are a man or a woman of integrity, if you are living in honesty, then, and, and if you are living uh, in truthfulness, well, then you will communicate with integrity, honesty, and truthfulness. And, and that's, that's going to be good communication. Does that make sense? If you are uh, basically living worthy of Christ, there's not hidden sin over here, or there's not an, uh, an ignorance of, of who Christ is and what he desires so that you're not living according. I mean, it could, it could be ignorance. It could be a, a lack of understanding of what the calling actually is. And so, again, that you know, growth and maturity uh, hymns that in. But, but, uh, but it, is, it is integrity, honesty, and, and truthfulness. Uh, that, that both, you've got to think of it two ways. That must be the standard of how we live. But you also got to think of it, we were incapable of doing that before Christ. But now we're a new creature in Christ. And that's who he is. And that's what we must be. God is a God of truth. Christ always lives in honesty, truthfulness, and integrity. He's the example of uh, who we are to follow. In fact, at the end of Ephesians 5, it says, imitate God, walk in love as Christ loves. So, I mean, that's, that is the standard. And so that's what we're striving to be. So if that's who we are in the heart, then that is how we will communicate with our lips. Not that we won't sin or we won't have uh, um, uh, deficiencies and have to work on it, but that's just the, the heart of it. So live with honesty, live with integrity, live with truthfulness, and you will be either in the middle of or heading into good communication. Does that make sense? So number one, we must speak words worthy of Christ. We must speak words that are worthy of Christ. Again, this is the heart of all of it. Everything we, we have to make sure that what we're doing is worthy of Jesus. Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 says, Therefore, Paul says, I, the prisoner of the Lord, exhort you to walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And then he says, this is, this is what it looks like. All humility, all gentleness, all patience, always bearing with one another in love. Always being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. If your thoughts are aimed at that, and your words are revealing that, and your mannerisms and your expressions and all of that are aimed at this, that is great communication. That is godly communication. That's what we're aiming at. To walk worthy conveys the idea of daily, habitual, continual living or conduct that is equal to the standard and calling of Christ. Does that make sense? That would be your thoughts, your words, your actions, everything. That the way that you live, daily, habitual, continual actions, that they equal the standard of the calling of Christ. Our life must match our identity in Christ. 
Worthy talk is part of a worthy walk. So, again, that's, that's, that's the simplicity of this whole thing. Good communication or godly communication is communication that is striving to make sure that, that both the thoughts that inform the expressions and the words, the words themselves, and the actions that we, that we perform as we're expressing those things are worthy of Christ. That they're, that they're done in humility, gentleness, patience. That we're always bearing in love. That we're always striving for unity and the bond of peace that comes from the Spirit of God within us. Romans 6, 4 through 14, same principle, same idea. Uh, Paul says that we need to walk in the newness of life. Uh, he talks about us being united in Christ. Therefore, we don't let sin reign in our mortal bodies. We're fighting sin. You see in Romans 7, that fight expressed by Paul himself. So again, it doesn't mean that there's not a fight. It doesn't mean there's not sin that you're going to still be working through. But you are a new creature in Christ, and you need to walk according to that newness, he says. And so you want to present the instruments of your body as instruments of righteousness, which would include your tongue, your arms, your face, the the way that you communicate. You want those things uh, to be used by Christ for his glory. Galatians 5, same thing. Here it talks about walking by the Spirit, living according to the Spirit, or living in submission to the Spirit, or being controlled by the Spirit in the way that we live. That's, a, that's how you define walking by the Spirit. Um, and he talks about the flesh is, is, uh, sets his desire against the Spirit. The Spirit is against the flesh. These are in opposition so that you do not do the things that you want. Now again, think about that. Like, and, and people say this all the time. You know, they say the first thing that comes to your mind is the last thing that you should say. You know what I mean? It's like the, you know, somebody says something, the first thought, don't say that. Think about it, process. All right, now speak. But, the, but that, that's, that's a way to talk about trying to speak. I mean, when you say that as, from a spiritual foundation, like somebody says something to you, and, and you've got to stop and think, okay, how would Christ speak in this situation? In, in what way, like how, how can I speak with patience? How can I bear with what they're saying? How can I speak in a way that's going to create unity and love? How, how can I speak in a way that will be gentle and, and gracious and, and, and give a blessing to the one who hears my words? Does that make sense? That, that would be letting your words be controlled by the Spirit, and that would be not doing what you want to do, not doing what is natural to you to do in that situation. And that always is how we live according to the Spirit. If you want to be spirit-led, spirit-controlled, spirit-filled, they all mean the same thing, then you have to be processing and thinking before you speak, before you act, before you interact with someone else. And so it's going to take, it's going to take uh, working against your flesh. And then he talks about the deeds of the flesh are evident. I, I, I cut out a lot of the, the, the chunk of these verses, but I left in the ones that come from communication, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envying. All of those are expressive things, expressive uh, communicating deeds, um, and, and they're all driven by uh, our lusts, by our desires, by our pride, by our selfishness. And he says, those who practice these things will never inherit the kingdom of God. The fruit of the Spirit is the very opposite. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He says, walk in step with the Spirit. And let us not become those uh, with vainglory challenging one another, envying one another. So again, to, to speak in a way worthy of Christ is to speak and communicate in a way that is submissive to the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit, informed by the Word of God. Uh, and that takes, that takes thought, 
that takes fighting against your natural instinct or natural inclinations. It takes working against your personality and just the way that you feel you are. Uh, any person that is submissive to Christ knows they have to fight against their natural self all the time. You know, I heard a young man one time explain it. It was convicting to me because he was, he's a more uh, kind of a, a more timid or shy individual. And, uh, and he started coming down to, to uh, Faith on Campus, sharing the gospel with us to strangers, which is hard for any of us. You know what I mean? But you got a, a very timid person doing it. And I remember talking to him and he just said, he told me, he goes, I don't want my personality to ever hinder uh, my obedience to Christ. And I was like, oh, you know, I mean, just like, <laughs> I am like so, con- I mean, he's saying that to me and I feel like, how often do I not do that? I do what's comfortable. Or, you know, I don't want to talk to anybody tonight, so I'm going to go sit in the car. I'm, going to, I'm not going to go to that thing. And, and to have this young man saying that, I, I just don't want my personality uh, to cause me to be disobedient to the Lord or to hinder me from sharing the gospel of Christ. And you're like, Phew. I mean, that, that's, that's what we're striving to do. But that is being led by the Spirit. Number two, we must understand our fallen nature. And again, we've kind of just hit on this a little bit. You've got to know, or you've got you to speak worthy of Christ. You want to live according to that standard. But you've got to understand what we are without Christ. Shane just read this in there, and it was so good. Uh, but but uh, I mean, I'm going to sum it up real quick. But in Ephesians 4, 17 through 18, he basically starts talking about what we are prior to Christ, what we are without Christ, what the world is without Christ. And he says, therefore, I say this, and I testify in the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, being darkened in their mind, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, and they having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Now again, just put in the word instead of walk, talk. And just imagine, I mean, this is, this is how we naturally communicate and naturally speak. The natural man speaks with futility. They're darkened to their understanding. They're alienated from God. It doesn't mean they can't ever express love. It doesn't mean they can't love their children. It doesn't mean they can't ever express something this kind. But it's saying, ultimately, in the end, it's coming from a heart that is separated from God, a mind that is not informed by his word and is unsubmissive to Christ and to his glory. And therefore, it can never do the things that we're talking about here. And that's what we are naturally. And that's what you're still fighting against if you're born again. You're fighting against the way that you used to think, that you used to process, that you used to speak, the way you used to communicate, the person that you used to be. You are no longer that person. You're a new creation in Christ, and now you are striving to train yourself to think and speak and act like Christ. That's a lifelong battle, and that will always be happening. When a person determines to think, listen to this, his own way, do things his own way, pursue his own destiny, he cuts himself off from God. Like, I used to say that all the time here at CCS when I was teaching chapel. The whole Disney thing, you know, just live your dreams and run after your dreams and all that. That is the, the, that is the, the message of Satan. This is your life, and you need to pursue your interests, and you need to strive to be the best that you can be for your own glory. I mean, that's, that is satanic, and that is the world. We're doing the opposite. We want to live as slaves to Christ. We want to submit all of our thoughts to him. We want our destiny to be controlled by Christ. And if that destiny means to disappear and to become obscure and to die in Christ, man, that's perfect. That's what John the Baptist did, right? He must become more. I must become less. And and again, that's what we want to strive to be in Christ. 
We want, we want to be living for, for, for his glory, not our own. When that happens, he cuts himself off from the truth and becomes spiritually blind without standards of morality. Without standards of morality, immorality becomes a shameless, callous way of life. Again, I mean, just look around you. This is, this is where we live. When that is uh, continued, it destroys the mind's ability to distinguish good from evil, truth from falsehood, reality from unreality. The godless life becomes the mindless life, and that process characterizes every unbeliever. It is the direction that every ungodly person is headed, although some are further along than others. And it's where we were prior to Christ. It's where you are currently if you don't have Christ. And so you've got to remember that. You are striving to let your heart and your mind and your words and all things be washed with the water of his word. You want him to inform you. You want to think like him, speak like him, live like him. Uh, and you have to know that that's not natural to you. It's, it's a supernatural occurrence, and you're striving to be submissive to his spirit. The new walk in Christ is the exact opposite of the old walk in the flesh. Whereas the old um, is self-centered and futile, the new is Christ-centered and purposeful. The old is ignorant of God's truth. The new knows and understands God's truth. The old is morally and spiritually calloused and shameless. The new is sensitive to sin of every sort, including the way we communicate. Whereas the old is depraved in its thinking, the new is renewed. So again... You have to understand your fallen nature. You need to know your old habits, your natural tendencies, the way that you think naturally, the things that provoke you easier than others. You've got to know those things about yourself so that you're able then to pull those things under submission to fight against what is natural to you and to speak and communicate in a way that is more like Christ. Does that make sense? So we've got to speak in a way that glorifies him or is worthy of him. We have to understand what we are naturally. And then three... We must reprogram our mind and our speech. Reprogram. Right after he talks about the natural inclinations in the world and what we are apart from Christ, darkened understanding and all that, he says this in 420. But you, Christian, did not learn Christ this way. You didn't come to an understanding of Christ with your own natural capacities. You don't follow Christ in your own natural capacities. In fact, it's a supernatural thing that he does to open your eyes, to transform you, to bring you to him, to give you new life. And now through his spirit, he's calling you to speak, think, live in a way that represents him. And so that is going to be, that's what we call sanctification. This is the continuation of the Christian life. I used to always tell the kids, if the whole purpose was just for you to be saved, then the, 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 the mercy, the grace, the love of God, the moment that you profess salvation in Christ and you were truly filled with the Spirit, he would kill you then and take you home to be with him. But he leaves us here purposefully because we are the church and he uses us to go out into the darkness and to call our brethren out of the darkness into his marvelous light. And he's progressively changing us in his holiness throughout that entire process. Does that make sense? And so here we have what we are in Christ. He says, you didn't learn Christ this way. If you have heard him and were taught in him, just as truth is in Christ, here is what we are called to do. To lay aside or put off, in reference to your former conduct, the old man, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. All right, so you're putting away stuff continually, laying aside, putting off, and you're being renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. 
So there is something he has done. He has created a new creation in you. And now you are striving to put away all that is old and put on all that is new. And everything that is new is built in righteousness and holiness and truthfulness. It's built in Christ. So, I again, I would always say this to the kids here. And I'm telling you today, you need to be brainwashed. To be brainwashed by the word of God as a Christian is exactly what we want. If you look at the definition of brainwashing, it means to force someone to believe or to do things, to indoctrinate them, to condition them, to convince them or persuade them, to teach them and alter their thinking. If it is anything other than Christ, that's a wicked thing. That's an evil thing. You don't want to be brainwashed by the culture, brainwashed by an ideology, brainwashed by a philosophy, brainwashed by someone else that is getting you to do what they want you to do. But if it's Christ who is doing the brainwashing, and it's the word of the holy God who only speaks truth and does all things for good, well, then I want every thought and every word and everything that I, the way that I process, the way that I understand life, I want all of it to be informed by him. And I do want him to control me completely. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be controlled by his spirit, to be enslaved to Christ. We want to follow him. We must think like him, speak like him. We need to stop thinking and speaking for ourselves. And we, uh, we need to see and discern things the way that they really are, not the way that we were programmed prior by this world system. We uh, all have baggage. We all have sin. We all have wrong thinking uh, that we strive against in this present age. And we must put off the old way of communicating and put on a new way of communicating. It doesn't mean you're mindless. It means that you are informed by truth and you're thinking according to Scripture. Does that make sense? Christians are very reasonable and logical and and very uh, uh, wise, if you want to say it that way, because we are informed by and think according to and are driven by the one standard of truth that has no fallacy in it whatsoever and comes from the mind and the lips of God himself. I mean, that's what we want informing us. Christ washes our minds and hearts with his word. We see that in Ephesians 5, 26 to 27. This is how he sanctifies us. He said, uh, in Ephesians 5, it says, He, Jesus, sanctifies his church, cleansing her by the washing of the water of his word, so that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. John 17, 17, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The way that we go from less holy to Christ-likeness is through the sanctification that comes through the uh, retraining of our mind with his word and then acting according to his word rather than according to our own standards and our own way of thinking. Again, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. Colossians 3, 10 through 11. Put on the new self that is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of Christ, a renewal in which Christ is all in all. Again, you want your mind to be renewed. You want your communication to be renewed. You want everything about you to be renewed and informed by Christ. So all that being said, 
Those are the, the, that's what's behind it. Here are four fundamental rules for communication. This is the put-off, put-on principle. It's the old man versus the new man. It's what we need to put away and it's what we need to put on. It's what we need to cease doing and what we need to start doing. Um, and again, I got that, the put-off, put-on principle there. Basically, to put off something biblically means to cease doing what you were accustomed to do, to cease living this way, to remove these habits, to remove these manners of your life, to lay them aside, to put on literally means to clothe or to dress. Um, and it means to begin living this way, to begin practicing, to begin training yourself to think, speak, live like Christ. These are the characteristics that should cover or adorn your life. That's when we say put on this, to put on Christ, you want your, your life to, to, to reflect Him. The way that you live reflects the character, the nature, the glory of Christ. Not because we're awesome, because we want to honor Him, we want to please Him, we want to glorify Him in the way that we live. And a lot of that is going to be communication. So number one, the number one thing is we must be honest. Be honest. We've already hit on it. We already said that that is the heart of the whole thing to begin with. Ephesians 4.25 says, Therefore, in light of all these things we just said, lay aside, put off falsehood, and then speak truth, each of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. In the family, everything must be on the table. Nothing is off limits. There can be no hidden compartments. There can be no secret habits. There, uh, there can't be things that we just don't talk about. We must think, speak, and live with honesty and with integrity and with truthfulness. And listen, guys, that is a lifelong pursuit. You don't arrive there right after you become a believer. And I haven't even arrived there yet. You're always striving for integrity. You're always striving for honesty. You're always digging out things and, 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 and confessing things because you're sinning every day. It's like what Shane just said in there, right? I mean, the, the, if you don't understand, like the whole debtor prison analogy, it's like we're, we're incurring more debt every day. There's more things to be honest about every day. There's more things that we got to talk about every day. We're going to sin against each other every day. So it's going to take honest communication every day. And, and again, you can't, there can't be parts of your life where you're just like, you know, well, well I got a temper and we don't talk about that. You know, it's like, no. You talk about that. You confess those things. You work on those things together. It doesn't mean that you'll never sin. It just means you talk about it when you do. And you make sure that even those low moments, if you want to say it that way, or those hard moments become moments of training and teaching and forgiveness and repentance and all that stuff. Does that make sense? You've got to be honest in your communication. We put off falsehood, which just means all pretending. It's actually the Greek word we get our word pseudo from. So you've got to put away anything that's fake. Stop being fake in the family. Stop pretending. Anything that's spurious or untrue. Everything that's not real or not genuine. Anything done for your own self-glorification. It's kind of those things we said with Adam and Eve earlier. You know, you say things in a way that it's true, but it conveys something different than reality. Does that make sense? And again, the best liars tell the truth. Do you understand that? The best liars tell you truthful things so that they're never caught in a lie but the way they express the truth makes you believe something that's not true. Does that make sense? So you're the one that misunderstood. The, the fallacies on your end, because they express truth, those are the best liars. It's terrifying. Don't be that. You don't want to be truthful to your spouse or truthful to your kids, but what you're conveying is, is fake. Does that make sense? So be honest. Honesty cuts right through that. 
Falsehood is all this stuff. Lies, deceit, manipulation, misrepresentation, flattery, exaggeration, anything fake or untrue, anything that distorts the truth, anything that paints something in a way that's not true or not totally true. All words and ways that make you look better than what you actually are. Um, Empty promises, 100% words, you know, saying you always, you never, those kind of things. All hypocrisy. That's the stuff you put away. It's not just straight lies. I mean, look at that list. You know, you know that describes you. And that's the stuff that has to go away. It doesn't mean that everything you do is always that. But we definitely do things like that. You know, we say things in a way that paints it a little bit different. uh, and makes it seem like we're not exactly, we basically want to hide or or, um, not be culpable of what we actually are and actually did. Does that make sense? But, but what's crazy, and anyone that has ever humbled themselves or been humbled by God knows that those are the moments of growth. Those are the moments of, 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 of pulling close to Christ. When you just got nothing you can stand on, and, and the, the depth of all the evil that you actually are has now become manifest to other people, and, and you say, you know, and actually, when you're really there, this is what, this is what those people usually say. Like, they got found out that they, were, they lied, or they got found out that, you know, what they said wasn't 100% true or whatever. And, and, a, and a true broken person will say something to the effect of, you have no idea. It was, it's so much worse than you even understand. In fact, I've been lying for this many years, or I've been doing this for this long, or, 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 or even worse than that. Like, the, even the, the intention is still there, and I'm still fighting it, you know? I mean, that's what true honesty looks like. It's not going to be like, well, you know, it, it wasn't that bad. Or, well, I never would have done it if it, this hadn't happened and that didn't happen. And, man, it, I can't believe they did that. Or, you know what I mean? The, all the blaming and all that. And so, again, you must speak with honesty. To put on truth means to, to, to say and to, to live what is real, what is accurate, what is genuine and correct, what is sincere. Exactly representing reality. And just think about that. Think about right now. Now, again, by God's grace, he doesn't put on, our, on a, a, a flat screen for the whole church to see everything. I mean, can you imagine that? If all the thoughts that you've had this morning or this week, every thought, every thought you had about somebody else sitting in this class or somebody else in this church or the, your mom or your dad or your kids or whatever, every thought was just put up on a screen, displayed for everyone to see, every thought you had this week, that's what you actually are. And by God's grace, he doesn't expose everything that we are to all the world. But you know he knows, and he knows the intentions and motives of your heart that you can't even discern. And he, is, he wants you to agree with him, to confess with him those sins, to live in honesty and integrity before him, and then to begin practicing that with one another. Does that make sense? You don't have to go tell everybody everything, but you need to be honest with everybody. And, and within the home, you've got to think about the, 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 the closeness of that accountability. Your spouse, she already knows more than you think she knows. And she needs to know everything about you. Because think about this. She is a helper built suitable for you. Everything we withhold from her allow, does not allow her to be the helper that you need that is suitable for you. When you're withholding information, you're, you're resisting the, the help, the accountability, the love, the encouragement, the admonition that she has been given to you by God to, to present. It's the same thing we talked about last week with the, the, the sins of the family. And a lot of times you'll hear people say, well, that's a family thing. We don't need to tell that to the church or tell that to other people. You know, we don't want to burden people with our sins. But the problem with that 
is you're withholding what God has given the church to you in order to, so basically, you're, you're, you're shunning sanctification. You're shunning his comfort and his counsel. You're shunning that, that growth in Christ because you're private. Does that make sense? So again, I'm not saying you got to tell everybody everything, but I am saying you need accountability, admonishment, encouragement. You need the church. You need one another. I'm sorry, I, I stuck way too long on that one. We must be honest. we got to be honest. And I'm going to just, just this list, speak the truth consistently, continually, comprehensively, clearly, carefully, and compassionately. Number two, keep current. Keep current. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. There's, there's Four commands here, a positive and three negatives. The, the positive, be angry, which is funny. That's a command there, be angry. And the, the negative commands is, yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. The, the, the principle here is solve today's problems today. Sin and conflict are inevitable. We'll talk about that when we talk about conflict resolution. Unresolved anger gives Satan an opportunity to divide and destroy relationships. Anger will happen. Conflict will happen. Sin is going to happen. Unresolved conflict, anger, and sin is a problem because you're basically going, come on in, Satan, and do whatever you want in my family. And that's the last thing that you want. The, the, the words mean, it says, be angry, but never. It's an emphatic, insistent, absolute negative. Be angry, Never sin. Be angry. Never suspend the unity and the reconciliation that you need to have. Be angry, but never subject yourself to Satan. So you need to put off uh, neglect and put on diligence. I just try to think of two words to sum this whole thing up. Put off vengeance. Put off bitterness. Put off mercilessness. Put off avoidance of things. Put off disunity and grudge and lists of wrongs. And put on the diligent pursuit of patience, forgiveness, mercy, love, peace, unity, and reconciliation. Romans 12, never take your own revenge. Leave that up for the Lord. But you like, but, but I know they did that in an evil way. Let the Lord deal with that. You return good for evil. Does that make sense? You are not the judge, and you are not the one that, that, uh, that pays vengeance. 1 Peter 2, 21 to 23, Christ is our example, right? Look, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. And think about this. He did no sin. There was no deceit in his mouth, and he was reviled, and what did he would do? He didn't revile in return. He suffered, and he uttered no threats. He kept entrusting himself to God. So... Yeah, you may say, well, no one's coming to my defense. No one's standing up for me. Evil is happening to me. But you have to understand, that's exactly the place that you, that, that's the only place, honestly, that you can exemplify Christ, right? You are being, you are suffering in an unjust way in, 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 in some sort of, you know, uh, uh, hurt or whatever is, is being pressed upon you. You have the opportunity as the victim to glorify Christ. And to utter no threats, to not revile and return, and to love those who hate you. That's what Christ did. And so, all that being said, we got to make sure that when sin happens within our family, that we are not uh, like letting it like linger in our heads, and, and we uh, end up uh, judging uh, our, either our, our spouse or our children. We are not perfectly patient. Uh, we're not perfectly understanding, wise or gentle. If we stay angry long, 
we will inevitably sin. So we must be quick to forgive and quick to show mercy and quick to ask for forgiveness and quick to pray and quick to fall at the feet of Christ. You don't have time to dwell in anger because that always gives Satan an opportunity in your home. James 4, 7 says, Be subject, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Think about the opposite principle. Never do the opposite. Never be subject to the devil and let him devour you and resist the Lord and invite him to give you over to your sin. You want to be subject to Christ and resist Satan. But very often, we resist showing mercy. We resist forgiving right away. We resist going to our brother or our sister. And we're like basically saying, Satan, come in here and do your work. Don't do that, especially in the home. Anywhere, but especially in the home. Choosing the, now, this is an important principle, too. Choosing the right time to speak will help good communication take place. It's not wise to deal with something important when there's not enough time. Think about that. Like, like you're about to walk into, I don't know, a meeting or into church, whatever, and, and you got, there's something big you need to talk about. That's not the time to say, honey, I need to confess a huge sin that you don't know about that's been secret for 10 years. You know, it's like, <laughs> that's not the right time. <laughs> you know, so... So again, you might be burdened on your conscience, but you need to also think uh, through, but you also don't want to be like, well, I can't do it now, so I'll wait another 10 years before we talk about this, you know? Don't do that either. Um, so think, uh, let's see, yeah, yeah. Uh, being tired is another thing. We would always tell couples that, like when we talk about this in, in um, premarital counsel, you know, we, we always say, you know, you don't want to go to bed angry. But think about this. It's one in the morning, you're driving home late, you walked in the door, you, you said something you shouldn't have said, but you're both exhausted. Now, first thing, yeah, you absolutely need to say, please forgive me, but, but you might need to talk about that in the morning. You might be one of the, but you, but you need to say those words. That was wrong, I shouldn't have done that, or the way I behaved tonight wasn't right, and we need to talk about it, but right now I'm tired, and I know if I open my mouth, I'm just going to sin more, but in the morning, we're going to talk about this. Does that make sense? So make a plan on when you're going to tackle it, but don't just put it off, and don't just ignore it, and don't think, we'll wake up and it'll be fine. Now, ignoring things or pretending they didn't happen, that only escalates all of it. And it's not living in honesty. And so, again, you may not have the time to tackle it in the moment, but you need to communicate when you are going to open up Pandora's box and get after this sin. Does that make sense? Uh, so, so make sure. And there's some questions to ask yourself. All right, real quick, last page. Attack number three is attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. Uh, this comes from Ephesians 4, 29 to 30. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Only such a word that is good for building up what is needed so that it will give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit uh, by whom you were sealed. So you want to put off anything that is insulting and put on things that are supportive. What I mean by that is words that tear down or attack the person. They, they, you, I mean, we do this all the time, right? We're hurt. And instead of going, okay, you know what? Maybe they were tired. No, maybe they didn't mean it. Maybe they, you know, maybe I did. Something. You know, instead of thinking about the actual situation, you're like, how dare they? You know what I mean? And you go after their soul. And like, who are you to say you're a Christian and you speak to me like that? You know, it's like we go right for the jugular every time we're sinned against. And you can't do that. Don't attack the person when God has allowed this situation so that you can work through the conflict and and, and glorify Him. Conflict is inevitable, and in fact, conflict is used by Christ all the time to cause us to become more like him. So the last thing you want to do is the Lord orchestrates, allows this, this trial in your life, and instead of working through it, you're, you go after the, the, the intentions or the motives of the other person. You want to use words that attack the problem. 
that are beneficial, kind, edifying, encouraging words, things that help bring to light whatever it is and works through the problem towards sanctification. Again, Romans 14, pursue things that make for peace and building up. 1 Thessalonians 5, comfort one another. Build one another up when you speak. Colossians 3, 8, lay aside wrath, anger, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Good communication from God's perspective is sending a message that is holy, purposeful, clear, and timely. You're going after the issue, not the person themselves. All right? And number four, last one, act and don't react. Act and don't react. Again, Ephesians 4, he's kind of going back and summarizing the things we learned in Ephesians 4, 17 through 18. He's saying the stuff that came from your former way of living, bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander, all that malice, that stuff is gone. Put that stuff away. That's what you once were prior to Christ. Now, who you are in Christ, this is how you are to live. Instead, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, gracious, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has graciously forgiven you. So we want our words, our communication, to be informed by the Spirit, to be, to, to, that we are, we are not reacting according to our flesh, but we are acting according to His will. So you're putting off all things that come from a, a heart of hate, bitterness, wrath, anger, shouting, slander, and you're putting on love, communication that is gracious and thoughtful, which is kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. And again, Colossians 3 says the same thing, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. So Christ is the standard. Whatever, you sin against him every day, and his forgiveness is unending. His mercy, unending. His love, unending. And that is the standard of how we are to interact with our spouse or with our children. Um, so we want to communicate in a way that glorifies him, that exemplifies him, that is driven by a heart that is submissive to him. Uh, we want our words to be submissive to him. Uh, we're not going to go over it, but if you looked on the next two pages, you got the warnings from James, which Caleb will tell you about next week. And then Proverbs is a great place to just to visit daily uh, to, to let the Lord examine your words. But let me pray for us and we'll be dismissed. Lord,